Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining me for episode 42 of the Slice of Healthcare podcast. I'm your host, Jared Taylor. On today's episode, we have Dr. James Wantuck, co-founder and chief medical officer at PlushCare, continuing that trend of talking with digital health companies that are really doing big things in the telehealth space. So without further ado, let's bring them on board and, and get the conversation started. Thanks so much for joining me on the Slice of Healthcare podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. How are uh, how are things going today? It's, it's definitely crazy out there, right? Things are pretty crazy. Um, actually, just had a, a newborn a few days ago, so uh, life is even crazier now. Oh, geez, what's I can't even imagine. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, you're you're working totally remote and now. You have this newborn. Um, I, I guess also a good time though to be home more, right? Um, yeah, I think I, I would have been stuck inside either way, um, and certainly being able to do a little work from home in between uh, diaper changes and and naps uh, is working. So uh, perfect. Some some positives there. Okay. Um, well. We're really excited to to have you on the podcast. I know you and I started speaking uh, a, a couple weeks ago, and uh, I've been a fan of of the company. You know, from from what I've learned so far um, with, with Plush Care, I would love if you could start out with the audience by telling a little bit about your background, kind of how your career got started, and then we can lead into you know, your current role as co-founder and chief medical officer at Plush Care. Well, I am an internist by training. So I did med school out in Vanderbilt in, in Nashville and then came to the Bay Area, uh, San Francisco Bay Area in 2010 to do residency training at Stanford um, and spent three years there. Uh, the hospital is, of course, right in the heart of Silicon Valley. So got kind of in tune with the entrepreneurial culture and the idea that you can make big changes and it doesn't take, uh, you know, it takes a lot of effort, but a, but a small team of people can do that. And so after finishing residency, I stayed on as a clinical instructor at the med school and did some clinical work there uh, at both Stanford and at the, the VA hospital. But really my passion was around how can we leverage this amazing technology that we all carry around in our pockets to improve both access and, and quality uh, care. And so that's what we set out to do. I met my co-founder, uh, Ryan McQuaid, who's our CEO, um, and he was coming more from the business side. He was uh, previously at AT&T in their digital health uh, strategy division. and. Um, you know, we, we kind of kicked it off and started uh, throwing around ideas around what we could do to solve those mutual problems of, of access and, and convenience and, and quality. And that's kind of where PlushCare came from. Um, the, it was interesting. We, we really liked some of the models that were out there, whether it was one medical um, or, you know, certainly Teladoc was around at the time. And we said, 
well, we like the technology aspect that leveraging a smartphone to do visits is, is uh, you know, brilliant. And a lot of people have, have thought of that and tried it. And it was pretty nascent at that time. Uh, but we also liked the sort of brick and mortar continuity of care and the quality and the focus on the experience, the sort of member experience for patients. And so that was kind of the direction we were headed. But at the same time, my co-founder um, himself actually started having some medical issues. He was having uh, back pain and, and really difficult illness that I would wake up on Saturday morning and he would start, he would be texting me saying, oh, you know, hey, Jane, should I get this MRI? Should I, uh, should I go see an orthopedist? What should I do? And so I was navigating him by text and, and by email to uh, various healthcare outlets. Eventually, you know, he was diagnosed with a ankylosing spondylitis, which is a, an autoimmune condition. But we kind of said, why can't everyone have that experience, right? Where you, you know a doctor, right? Or there's a doctor in the family and you can reach that person 24 seven. So both the, the business side of things and the, that personal experience that we went through um, or that he went through shaped the vision for Plush Care. How did you come up with the name? Well, the name was thought up actually by Ryan's father um, who suggested it. We were trying to come up with something that we felt like you were taken care of and felt like it was a premium experience. Um, we don't want to be seen, I think at the time telehealth was kind of seen as this call center doctor and it was less than in-person care and we wanted to encapsulate the idea of this is high quality and maybe even better care than you could receive elsewhere and that's why we named it what we named it and also why we do many of the things we do like recruiting only the best uh, doctors in the country and really focusing on what we call wowing patients, which is an idea we've taken from some more consumer-focused companies like uh, Zappos, which was an inspiration. So, uh, One of my favorite books, Delivering Happiness. <laughs> yep, that's right. Uh, Love that book. Um, yeah, they're, they're firm believers, for, for the, those in the audience that aren't familiar with Zappos, they're firm believers that, uh, so they sell shoes, but they believe that their their real business is customer service and providing the best care towards their customers and that they could honestly do anything um, and, and be successful at it because of the care that they provide to their customers. Yep, exactly right. And that's, that's really the mantra. Um, it was interesting coming from the healthcare world. That is not an idea that I was very familiar with. Uh, being in academic medicine, I don't think that there is a tremendous focus on, you know, the customer or, or really being the most friendly, the most service oriented. Um, it's still, there's still some dogmatic thinking and paternalism that pervades uh, traditional healthcare. And so that was something I, I learned here and, and uh, it, it has really 
permeated our, our business and our culture at Plush Care. Um, we're constantly talking about wowing patients, focusing on um, NPS scores, net promoter scores, which is not a measurement used in healthcare very frequently. And uh, you know, we even have a, a Slack channel where every single patient review comes across and you know, the CEO reads them and I read them and we respond to every single one. So well, wow, that's yeah. Slack's a Slack's a great tool. I, I like how you uh, integrated it, so you're able to get that information through Slack. Yep. Uh, was that something you did, I guess, out out of the gate, or was that something that's been a recent addition to kind of your workflow? It was pretty much out of the gate. Uh, Slack, I don't think, was around back then, um, so that's been a more recent addition. But early on, I think. The problem in telehealth was earning people's trust. And so people just couldn't believe that you could see a doctor online. And that was just, you know, four or five years ago. And even today, we still get people that are surprised. And so having really high quality doctors and being able to put that, you know, hey, this doctor went to Harvard or Stanford um, up on the web page and have a, a big bright photo of them earns people's trust, and then patient reviews or word of mouth earns people's trust. And so we focused very much from the beginning on Google reviews and Yelp reviews and, and every place online you could post to make sure that we are making every person a sort of a satisfied customer. Interesting. When you first started out in your career, did you think you'd get to this point? It's the, like, were you entrepreneurial? Did you believe that you would help co-found a, a health, a, a digital health company and, and be a chief medical officer one day? Or was that even a thought at the time? Uh, I don't think I knew what digital health was. Uh, I think early on in my career, I knew I wanted to make a change and make a, a big impact. And uh, when I finished training, uh, certainly in Silicon Valley, it was a choice between you know going to work at a big health system or a private practice, or taking a riskier move. Uh, and I sort of took the, I decided on the second path as as the the only way to to really affect change in the system. Um, it would have been much harder um, from within the system than outside of it. That makes sense. Okay. What what have been, uh, let's talk a little bit about pre-COVID versus uh, post-COVID. Like, how are things looking now? What, what have you seen, both, I guess, in the space and how has it affected the uh, internal business? We were on a uh, great trajectory uh, for growth and uh, expanding, improving the product and expanding access prior to COVID. Uh, we were very happy with, with our progress, but COVID has certainly accelerated the whole market. Uh, mm -hmm. I know other companies have published some numbers, but it certainly has accelerated our growth as well. Uh, we have seen somewhere in the realm of I mean, certainly more than 300% growth in visits uh, just in the last 
two months. Wow. So um, it's been, you know, like drinking from a fire hose, that's for sure. But it feels good, right? We're, we're helping an incredible number of people with all kinds of different health issues. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, that's been the, the common trend when I've talked with these telehealth companies. It's um, it also it, one of the big things, too, they've mentioned is they believe that it's accelerated the telehealth space, um, like adoption, just at a much faster pace, as you just said, like, and, and that will continue even post-COVID. Um, you know, it, it stinks that it took a pandemic, right, to really kick everyone into, you're going to use this as a as a tool more often than you ever did. But um, I, I think that was definitely one of the results of everything going on. Right. I think uh, awareness was, was one of the major issues in the industry. And um, this has certainly uh, brought this to the attention of, of everyone. Uh, it's hard to, you know, look at the news or, or see anything where telehealth isn't isn't mentioned somewhere. Even the, you know, the CDC and the WHO have advocated for telehealth, which uh, was hard to, hard to imagine them uh, spouting its virtues just a few months ago. So um, yeah, the, I think you're right. I think behavior change has been accelerated you know, three or four, five years uh, than we would have seen otherwise. Well, I guess in your opinion, what do you see as some of the things that like need to still be done for, I guess, and this is pretty open-ended, but for adoption to continue to accelerate um, beyond the, this pandemic? Are, you know, are there still some key features um, that many companies need in the space? Um, I mean, you, you would probably know best. Um, like, is there, is there another set of things um, beyond a pandemic that we need to hit to really continue to increase adoption? The regulatory side has always been a barrier, uh, certainly state licensure, which has been loosened in the recent weeks, uh, is, a, is, is a difficulty, uh, right? Patients who are located in, I don't know, Wyoming, need to see a doctor who's licensed in Wyoming. And so it makes it difficult to build a, a nationwide network or practice uh, to see those patients. And so uh, the licensing thing I don't think is going to stick. I don't think we're going to see one license for the whole country, although it does seem many states are adopting um, the interstate compact, which certainly makes it easier. Then on the, yeah. the payment side, oh, go ahead. Uh, so, yeah, it's, uh, you know, and the interstate compact uh, definitely helps with like physician licenses, but there's still, I mean, you're seeing more uh, advanced practitioners and physician assistants be involved too in the, in the telehealth space. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, there's no, there's much less resources for them to be able to leverage um, type of services like that. Um, yep. that. That will still need some work. Um, yeah. And, and I'm interested in hearing your thoughts on the payment side of things as well. Yeah. Payment is, is the big one. Uh, I think this is why traditional healthcare players haven't really gotten into telehealth in a big way because they were just worried that, that the payers aren't going to reimburse. And many of them have had very restrictive policies, uh, Medicare certainly included, 
in that around the originating site and um, only allowing it in rural areas. And so those barriers have been broken down. I think those are the ones that probably stick. Uh, I don't see I don't see Medicare going back to the old ways, and I am very hopeful that the payers will, the private payers will follow. I assume that with all the investments that health systems and and uh, physician offices are making into telehealth, it's going to be hard for the insurance companies to argue that this shouldn't be a covered service. So yeah, yeah. that's my hope. And, yeah, we will, we will see what happens. Well, where where can people learn more uh, about Plush Care and you know, maybe yourself? Sure, uh, plushcare.com is our website, uh, P-L-U-S-H-C-A-R-E.com. Um, the big thing going on right now is that we're doing antibody testing for COVID. And so we're seeing quite a lot of people interested in getting uh, the antibody test. And because insurers are covering telehealth and because insurers are covering the antibody test, there's, there's no cost to patients to get that done. So um, I think it's, it's worth, worth checking out and we're hoping to, to actually release some data on our, our patient population soon. What, what are the requirements for for getting a free antibody uh, test? It's really anyone who is insured um, can get it for, for essentially free. Uh, and because there's so many asymptomatic uh, infections, it's almost worth testing anyone who is worried or thinks they may have been exposed or certainly people who think they may have had symptoms. How, I was having this conversation actually the other day with a friend, how early, because obviously with the, the shutdown and um, the United States moving towards uh, trying to flatten the curve started in what, mid to late March. Uh, mm -hmm. Is it possible though, that there were people that had it before that? Like when, when do we think it was actually, this has been a debated topic amongst a couple of my friends. Um, when do we think it actually entered the United States? Like were there cases as early, I guess, as December, January here, in your opinion? I, I think in the United States, I mean, certainly the data would suggest that the earliest cases are in, I believe, early February. Um, I don't think I remember seeing any in January, but there's debate, as you're pointing out. Uh, and many, many people, I can tell you, are worried that they think that the illness they had in December or November even might have been COVID. And I can tell you from the data that we have, at least, that we haven't found anyone um, that early. So... Uh, yeah, I, I think we would have started to see more deaths, more hospitalizations, more um, illnesses. But it, it's possible we'll find a case that was in, you know, early January or maybe even December. Hard, hard to know. So late, late in February, I actually personally felt horrible. Uh, felt horrible. Uh, I 
I had, I, I woke up one day and my temperature went as high as like, like 102, 103. Um, just couldn't get out of bed for, for a couple of days. And then I went to urgent care and they said I had strep throat. Is it possible that at that time they might've diagnosed me with strep throat, but it could have been something else? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Late February, okay. I think infections were around. I think if I were you, I would- I should get the antibody testing. Get antibody <laughs> yeah. testing. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I think it, it's it's comforting one to know that hey, I really did have it, and I, you know, I survived. I, I didn't get hospitalized, and two, we think it probably indicates some level of protection, and I think you should feel, you know, uh, more comfortable, more uh, less fearful if you do have the antibodies. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm going to look into this more. Um, it, it's been something I've been thinking about. I mean, because if, you know, if you're one of the lucky ones, right, and you had it, and then you realize you do have the, the antibodies, um, you're right, the, the thought right now is there is some level of protection, at least for a period of time, right, based on the research they've yeah, done. Yeah, I, I we're kind of based on our knowledge of other viruses and other infections and how it usually works is, yeah, you're protected to some degree for some period of time. Uh, we need time and data to true you know to prove that for covid but uh, i think we'll get there great yeah all right i'll uh, i'll check that out and thanks thank you so much too for for joining us on the slice of healthcare podcast uh, podcast it means a lot and i'll include those links um in the show notes i'll even include that link uh discussing how plus care is the first uh, virtual care company to offer nationwide antibody testing um That'll be great. And uh, yeah, let's let's definitely stay in touch. Like I said, big fan of the company and look forward to uh, you know, seeing how your career continues to move forward and the and the growth of plush care. Thanks for having me on, Jared. I appreciate it. All right. Well, have a great day. All right. Take care. Hey, everyone. I wanted to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Block Health. Block Health is unlocking healthcare professional data, making it easily shareable. They want to make life easier for healthcare professionals and organizations so that they can focus on tasks like providing the best care possible to patients. Block Health leverages their smart universal common application and blockchain technology to streamline many of the tasks that healthcare professionals and organizations must engage in, like primary source verification, provider enrollment, state licensing, state license renewals, DEA registration, DEA renewals, and much more. They do all of this through their easy-to-use platform. If you would like to learn more about Block Health, please check out their website at www.blochealth.com. Thanks. Thank you to everyone that listened to this week's episode of the Slice of Healthcare podcast. If you'd like to check out more of our podcasts, we're available on all the major podcast channels. And you can check us out on our website, www.sliceofhealthcare.com. And that'll have all of our past guests on there. Uh, you can see our sponsors and you can learn more about actually becoming a guest. Thanks and look forward to another episode next week.